what's going on? Happy Wednesday. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drance. You can read his work at The Athletic as well. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio at Rogers Arena on a Canucks game day. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, it's, game it's day. A, it's a different sort of game day. Yeah. Because the Vancouver Canucks are overwhelming favorites. With overwhelming 75. favorites. 75% of the handle is on the Vancouver Canucks today, and the money line is like minus, what, 250? Minus 250 per play now. now? Yeah. yeah. And, and like overwhelming favorites. Overwhelming and favorites. I don't have an issue with it. I don't have an issue with no, that. No, no, no. The Ducks are playing on the second leg of a back-to-back. Yes. And uh, did you watch any of the game that they played in Seattle last night? Just a little bit. The third period devolved into, like, all-star game pace. Yeah. Like, it was true garbage time in a way you very rarely see at the NHL level. It's garbage time on the Ducks season. The Canucks are winning going away tonight. I am. I'm honestly excited for this one in a weird way, just because, like, what can Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes do to this Ducks team yeah. on, in the in the circumstances you just described? Yeah. Like, this is as much of a field day as you get if you're a player like Elias Pettersson in the NHL. You might as well go to YouTube and Google best crashes in NASCAR history. Like that's what you're <laughs> that's what you're about to see on the ice at Rogers Arena in terms of what the Canucks are going to well, do. Well, even think back tonight. to. Um, was eight five when when Anaheim was here earlier in the season when when the when the meaning of the words deeply unserious which we've used to describe the Ducks yeah. all season like really sunk into us yes yes yeah like that was a wide open all star level affair and like I, it could be something similar or maybe even less serious from the Ducks tonight we'll see the Ducks defend in clumps on the ice and that's not a good approach <laughs> to winning is that the, the strategy you want yeah. hey guys go clump it up. <laughs> I'll go to one spot on the ice. Yeah, <laughs> see if that works. Yeah, the Canucks have had their moments of that. Yo, no question, but not <laughs> honestly, not, like that. not to the extent like I not think. Like that. I think this Vancouver Canucks team is one of the worst defensive teams, or certainly was for the first half of the year, one of the worst defensive teams I've ever seen in the NHL. But the Ducks are the worst defensive team I've ever seen in the NHL. They are not Anaheim, that's for sure. Yeah, Anaheim. I, if you haven't watched them or you haven't really been paying attention, like. It's hard to even kind of wrap your head around how poor they've been and just the numbers on their season. Like, their goal differential is so far, so much worse than anybody else's. They're minus 99 on the season through 64 games. Next worst is minus 67. Or excuse me, next worst is minus 72. That's Columbus. But, like, that's a huge gap between worst and second worst. And yet... And yet, they're fourth in points percentage in the NHL. Unbelievable. It is truly unbelievable. The competition at the bottom of the standings in the NHL this season is unbelievably difficult. Like, how Columbus has pulled this off (laughs) to be at the bottom is honestly... After signing Johnny Goodrow? We need like a 30 for 30 on it. (laughs) That's Honestly, we need like a deep deep The Connor Bedard tank battle? Well, and especially because like... Kent Johnson's playing really well down the stretch. Like some of their guys that they brought in, like Nick Blankenberg, San Jose, second worst points percentage in the league. They're going to have the Norris Trophy winner on their team. Uh, it's it's wild. It's like wild. what? Well, and and did you see they had like a late game win, <laughs> game tying goal? Yes. Like, 
it's hard to lose. It's hard to lose. Like, the idea that there's multiple teams with a worse point percentage than the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. And, like, truly, Jason Dickinson might be their best skater right now. I'm not kidding. That's not a joke. Don't laugh. Oof. Oof. How? How are there two teams worse than Chicago? It's stunning. It takes so much work. And so the Vancouver Canucks, overwhelming favorites, and going to pass the Philadelphia Flyers tonight in point percentage? I believe they would. Well, no, they would tie the Philadelphia okay. Flyers in points percentage. They would go to. They would each have 64 points uh, in 59 games. By, Sorry, by reverse the, that. 59 the, points in The, in the one thing games. is I think St. Louis's next two games are against the Sharks and the Columbus Blue Jackets, but if not for that, we would be looking at the Canucks being, what, ninth from mm-hmm. the bottom by mm-hmm. the end of the week. And I, I think we're probably a couple weeks out now based on how this team is trending. Rick Tockett once again today describing the rest of the season like these are our playoff games. We know the top players are going to play a lot. We know Demko's going to start against a tired Ducks team. This team is winning a lot of games down the stretch, everybody. Yeah, and they uh, they play a lot of those teams at the bottom of the standings from here on out or the remainder over the remainder of their season. All right, so I wanted to get into this while we're talking about uh, the dismal Anaheim Ducks. Uh, Halford and Bruff had a good conversation on their show this morning, uh, part of which was put up on uh, the Sports on 650 Twitter feed as well, about who is closer to winning a Stanley Cup, and specifically whether, you know, Anaheim or Vancouver, who has a better chance of winning the Cup in the next five years? And I started to think about this after I saw Halford and Bruff get into it a little bit. And, you know, sometimes, like, let's say you are, I don't know, in the market for a new car or something, and you're going between two choices you really, really like. And when you look at one, you think, oh, man, this has got to be the one. It has these awesome features. This is great. But then you look at the other one and you say, ah, no, now but I look at this one again, oh, I got to go with this one. I had the opposite experience trying to decide between these two teams. Like, as soon as I really dove into the situation of one team, I thought, well, there's no way I can choose them. But then I would go dive into the situation of the other team and said, oh, no, they're miles away from winning a Stanley Cup as well. So I'm going to go, I think I, I get the sense that this is kind of a contrarian take. But if I had to bet right now on one of these two teams winning the Stanley Cup, and this comes with the major, on, on major what, caveat. On, what, what's your timeline? Let's say five years. Okay. Okay. Because that that I think is meaningful. I think that's fine. Because yeah. I'm not talking about like 20 years or anything like that. Vancouver yeah. should have a better chance for the next two. Yeah. So right. if I had to if bet it was on like one, a 10 year timeline, I'm picking the Ducks going away. Yeah. On a five year timeline, I probably have to think about it before I pick the Ducks. I'm gonna ch- I'm gonna ch- <laughs> I'm taking the Canucks on a five year timeline, and again. This comes with a major caveat of, like, if I added the chances together, like, cumulative chances of either of these teams winning a Stanley Cup in the next five years, it's definitely sub-5%. Oh, like, without a doubt. Well, sub, you know what sure. I mean? So we're talking about we're talking about their very thin margins and small numbers but so, here. But sorry, it's sub-5% for, like, good teams. No, not if you combine two good teams. Yeah. It's not. No, it's not. Okay, so, like, you th- you'd take over 5%. You would, you would bet... You would bet. You would bet the line. You would bet the line at plus, like at two hundred to one. You would bet the line, uh, or plus twenty two, to one. Pl- yeah. Twenty to one. You would bet the line twenty to one if I gave you the, and I'll give you good teams. I'll give you the Devils and yeah. the Dallas Stars. You'd bet twenty to one. One of them wins in the next five years. 
I would take that action. I might. <laughs> I would On the Devils? Action. I really like the Devils. I would take that I action. might. Anyways, but you know, you get my point. Like, fine, under 2%, whatever it is. The whatever really small number. You know yeah. what I mean, right? Oh, sorry, like, sorry. We're, we're talking I, about. Did I turn this into a semantic debate? My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I should have anticipated this. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, because I, 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 my, my take is much more of an anti Anaheim Ducks take than it is a pro Vancouver Canucks take. And I know that the pro Canucks argument is they've got a borderline heart trophy candidate in Elias Pettersson and a number one defenseman in Quinn Hughes and a potentially elite goalie in Thatcher Demko, right? And we can get into all the counters and you and I have discussed them at length and those all exist. But that's the pro Canucks argument. The thing with the Ducks, though, when I start to look at it is they are much closer to like Chicago or Arizona to me than they are to a team like Buffalo or even a team like Ottawa or even like New Jersey last year, right? Where you could picture New Jersey on the upswing. You saw what was going what was going on with Jack Hughes. They had Nico Heischer, right? They have the wealth of draft picks and the cap space and all of that. But the big difference for me was they had those no doubt about it bona fide top of the lineup pieces. Same thing with Buffalo, right? They've got Tage Thompson and Rasmus Dahlin. They have guys that I have absolutely no doubt can be top players on a Stanley Cup contending team. I Anaheim doesn't have that yet. Now, that could change. I think the best argument for Anaheim in this debate is, well, they could get Connor Bedard. They have a really legit shot at Connor Bedard in this year's draft. So that could change. Or, or Fantilli. Or, or Fantilli. Or Carlson. Although, again, they're currently fourth, which is absolutely mind-boggling. So they could end up picking fourth or fifth in this year's draft as well. But that's the thing for me is I don't, I don't think they have in their organization right now the guys who are going to be like, the first and second best players on a Stanley Cup winning team. Uh, see, uh, this here's where I disagree with you. I think Jamie Drysdale, he's missed all season, so it's easy to ignore that he had 30 points, mm-hmm. 38 points as a 19-year-old, uh, right-handed. You know, he's over six feet tall. He is a problem, like very difficult to contain. He's a dynamic, right-handed, top-pair defender. And so, for me, he'd be one of, like, those – he, for me, is a cornerstone level piece. Trevor Zegras, I know the blooms off the rose of Trevor Zegras, but we're talking about a guy who has a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, and 21-year-old, has driven play on a bad team, right? Legitimately floats all boats. You put any player with him, mm-hmm. Sonny Milano, boom, they're really good with him. Um, and he scored .78 points in his 19, 20-21-year-old seasons. That's not Elias Pettersson level, because Elias Pettersson is better. But it's really good. Like, it stacks up with some of the, the who's who of superstar players in the NHL today in terms of what he's done at that age. Like, he is absolutely on track, in my view, to be the best offensive piece on a Stanley Cup contender. Mason McTavish is going to have 40 points as a 20-year-old player in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he's going to be, like, the offensive star on a, on a potential Stanley yeah. Cup winner, but I think he could be the best two-way guy. Could he be like the Nico Heischer? Right, exactly, and then and then you get Troy Terry. He's twenty six, like he's a little older. Well, he'll but, turn twenty six in September, but, but yeah. he's incredibly good. Yep, and and here's the here's where the Ducks' chances really for me elevate above where Vancouver's at. Pavel Minchukov is the best defenseman in the OHL this year. He's nineteen. That looks like a home run pick. Mm-hmm. A year out from the draft, like if you redrafted the twenty twenty two draft class, Minchukov goes fringes the top five like that's a home run pick or it's trending that way Olin Zellweger it is a crime that he didn't go in the first round in his draft year in 2020 
Uh, he's obviously playing in Kamloops now. He's going to play in the Memorial Cup. He starred for Team Canada at the World Juniors. This kid, the reports that I hear about him from WHL scouts are like, 4% body fat lives at the rink. <laughs> you know, like, he's a little bit undersized, but this is the this is the guy. This is the guy in terms of everything else. He's going to be a top-four caliber defenseman for a decade-plus in the league, and I think he's going to hit that level almost right away. And then they have six picks in the first three rounds the next two years, and they've made at least four in the first three rounds each of the last three. And that's going to create this pipeline of affordable talent that comes through. Plus, they have a ton of cap flexibility in the short term, like especially after next year once Jacob Silverberg and um, Adam Henrique expire. And, and honestly, Adam Henrique in particular could be a, actually like a pretty good trade chip for them at the deadline next year with 50% retention. Gibson, for me, is the problem that they're going to have to navigate here because I, I, I think he's legitimately not good now. And 6.4 through 2027, like that's going to be a tough deal for them to figure out, but at the end of the day, if that's your only one, and and in the short term anyway, at least for the next year or two, you're not going to have competitive pressure. Like, I really think there's a world where if they get Bedard, and, and granted, they have to get Bedard to, sure. to make this true, they could be better than Vancouver as soon as next season. To me, that's only in the cards if they get Bedard. Uh, agreed. Because I think the other question that I have, and so, okay, I think the, the comparison of, like, McTavish and Zegris to Hughes and Heischer with New Jersey is a really good one, right? Where, like, Hughes is the offensive dynamo, and then Heischer is the incredibly talented two-way guy. I just, like, Zegris, you're right. The scoring rates are really good. And I want to be clear. This is not a, like, oh, Zegris is too flashy out there, and, you know, he doesn't have the right attitude, whatever. There may, are there questions about his maturity? Sure, but I think he can develop and he can grow into those things. I'm not concerned about his skill. That's the best part of his game. It's great that he's aggressive and trying things out there. I have questions about his two-way ability, right? And how, like, are you going to be really excited about having him on your first line if you're a Stanley Cup contending team? It could happen. He could He could get there. He could grow into that role, but I have major questions about it. Like, And with McTavish, again, could he turn into a Nico Heischer? Yes, that's a really, really high standard to project for any 19 or 20-year-old. Uh, as good a season as McTavish is having in the league, right? So I look at it as... Uh, I think M- McTavish is going to get there, man. He's he's a beast. Absolute monster. man He's a good player. Don't get me wrong. He's, he's a really sick. good player. But there's a difference between even being a really good player and being top two-way guy but doesn't the argument, on a Stanley Cup team. Doesn't the argument for Vancouver getting to the point where they're even close to winning a Stanley Cup in the next five years rely on... The logic of like, oh boy, if they can play systematic hockey like we've seen under Rick Talking. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Like no, no, no. Well, what happens when the deeply unserious Anaheim Ducks start trying to win? Because realistically, in a normal season, Dallas Aikens wouldn't have lasted this no, long. He's gone. Like and, he's gone in November in and a normal season. Things would have looked an awful lot different down the stretch for this team in a world where they'd made that change, right? They didn't, and they intentionally didn't. They've allowed with the sort of discipline that the Canucks probably should have, this season to truly get away from them without, you know, creating a sort of new coach bump and trying to just fix some of what was at issue, right? The Ducks have had the discipline to punt on this season. Um, And that's partly why they're going to accelerate past Vancouver, right? Because it doesn't matter. If they get Bedard, they have a chance to be better than Vancouver next season. If they don't, they don't. But they're still going to get one of the top guys. Like, they're still going to get one of the top guys. Vancouver's not. Right? Vancouver's going to get a guy who's two, three years away. 
because that's what you're usually picking. I mean, unless something like odd happens like Benson or, mm-hmm. or Mitchkov mm-hmm. falls, that's what Vancouver's looking at. So, you know, the Ducks' advantages are going to accumulate and accelerate, and I really think we're only a year or two away from being in a world where we pick or, or like, the prognosticators start to make the Ducks, like, a sexy pick to be a breakout team. I think we're going to start to see that as soon as next year, depending on the coaching hire, and definitely the year after. I think that's going to be the narrative around them. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks, to me, feel like they're, you know, running a race on a treadmill. <laughs> yeah, and as I said, this is much more of a skeptical about the Ducks thing than a boosting the Canucks chances. <laughs> Um, I think the coaching conversation with the Ducks is really fascinating. Like, what they look like under their next coach and whether or not they nail their next coaching hire is going to be absolutely crucial because I got to say, this Ducks season has been so bad, and I understand why they've let it devolve into this, right? I completely understand it. They, They know what's at stake in this draft lottery just as much as anyone else. But I also do, like, all of those kind of hackneyed hockey guy concerns about, oh, can it, like, a losing culture, what does losing like that do to young players? This is, like, the Ducks are having that bad a season where that starts to become a legitimate concern for me. Is it that it's not simple to turn around from this sort of nadir as a franchise? And, again, if Mason McTavish turns into, like, a Selkie candidate-type player, if Jamie Drysdale is a, you know, top number one or at least top pairing right shot defenseman, then maybe it won't matter. But you just factor that into the kind of inherent uncertainty of projecting what 19, 20-year-old guys are going to do. And I think there's still lots of reason to be skeptical about where the Ducks are going in the next five years. And the other question I have is, I mean, are they even done? Are they done tearing down? You know what I mean? Are they going to delay? Are they going to kick the can down the road a little bit? Which I don't even necessarily think, I don't think so. will be that crazy an idea. Uh, I don't. I don't think they will. Um, kick the can further down the road because you run into problems in a market like Anaheim where you, you can't... Where you just become irrelevant. You, you can't exist as a true seller dweller for like five years. You know, that you just you, you lose too much oxygen around your brand. Well, and I will say, I mean, they tried to add players in the summer. They did add players in the summer. Yeah. It didn't work out. No, they had to, <laughs> didn't work out at all. They had they, to spend to the floor. But they added a bunch of guys in Strom and Vitrano and obviously Klingberg, who was you know an unmitigated disaster but, but, there. But was brought in to sell. Yeah, oh, and for it, sure. And it didn't quite work because the team so vastly so underperformed. But yeah. they'll, they'll keep doing stuff like that. You know, I, I expect them to keep trying to do like one-year resuscitate projects and if their team's a more credible credible one, you know, it should return more than Klingberg ultimately did for them. Uh, the other way I would frame it like this is just look in the Pacific Division. Chances to win a cup in the next five years. I would have the Ducks, and this is not necessarily in order, but I would have the Ducks behind L.A. Mm-hmm. I'd have the Ducks behind Edmonton. Yep. I'd have the Ducks behind Vegas. Yes. I'd have the Ducks behind Seattle. Sure. And I'd probably still have the Ducks behind Calgary. And I know people are really down on Calgary right now, and I get that. We're actually going to talk to Pat Steinberg. You're you're not painting a grim portrait of the Ducks so much as you are of the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, look, as I said, I started this. This was not going to be a rah-rah waving the pom-poms for for the Canucks. We're debating debating who's sixth in the division in terms of futures. Yeah, that's right. Brutal. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm more just pouring and, cold water and, on the and, idea that the Ducks are like, oh, there's going to be jet fuel behind them in a couple of years. Oh, like, I think there's a sorry. lot of questions I still, for the Anaheim Ducks. The, the jet fuel comes in the prospect system and the armor uh, arm sorry the um absolute arsenal of draft picks that they've accumulated right like there is real jet fuel there i think it's just not it just hasn't arrived yet but there is jet fuel there i, I think without question and i'm way h- higher on trevor zegris than you i think trevor zegris i see nothing in trevor zegris's profile that suggests that he's not again not an elias petterson caliber young yeah. player but you know, when we're talking about Elias, like Elias Pettersson caliber young players, we're talking about very rarefied air. Mm-hmm. But that's what you need. Well, no, you but, need those guys, right? And that's my well, point. No, is that I don't know that they have those guys. Sorry, yet. you do, but you also, you also like Pettersson's unreal. Pettersson's the best, like, you know, the best U twenty. How old is he now? Twenty five. Yeah. How is Austin Matthews still under twenty five? <laughs> I don't think so. So, so he's one of the top three U25 centers. It's like him, Hughes, Matthews. No, Matthews over 25. So him, Hughes, like, you know, it's it's extremely rarefied. But I'm talking about, like, Zegris's profile compares pretty favorably to, like, a Jack Eichel at the same age. But is that adjusting for scoring rates around the league? But the scoring rate thing is new to this season. Well, it's last year, too. A little it was bit. last year, too. A little bit. Not like this. This is, like, a, a totally different thing. Um, scoring clip is, you know, he's he, point point eight points per game at 19, <laughs> 20, and 21. You know, you're very close to Jack Eichel at the ages of, of 18, 19, 20, 21 in the NHL. Uh, he's a remarkable player, man. I think you're, he's, I think you're way too He's low. a good player. He's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I just, like, look, we've all seen really talented high school players that don't end up profiling as top guys on a Stanley Cup team. That's the thing that happens, and I think Zegers still has to answer that question. He could do it; he could absolutely do it. But, but so I think there's a lot, there's a long way to go. Realistically, though, if that's the standard, like so do Vancouver's top guys. Yeah, but Elias Pettersson has has performed I don't have, so much better. I don't have those issues because I don't do the reflexive blame the good players for a team's struggles thing. But I'm not like to be clear. I'm not blaming Zegers for the Ducks being bad. Okay, <laughs> could have fooled me. Uh, Zegers is amazing. Zegris is amazing, and I think absolutely him and McTavish and Drysdale are all on the path to accomplish what you're skeptical of. In my view, they're, 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 I see very few red flags about their ability to be like three of the top five players on a really, really great like wagon level team. Yeah, and that's ultimately what the disagreement comes down to, right? Yeah. It's just like questions about the ceiling, but then also the likelihood of those guys reaching. And I see that two ceiling. other defensemen in their system capable of doing that. And I see a top five pick coming in a in a super d- deep draft class. Hey, by the way, from from the uh, from the Gavin McKenna files. Oh, you're gonna talk about the Swedish guy? Yeah, yeah. I wanted, I wanted somebody. Just, I wanted somebody just, texted in about I it. Just and I just shout him out. I saw it right before we went on air. And I was okay. Like, yes, another guy. <laughs> 2025, Philip Ekberg. He has a hat trick in his first Allsvenskan game. <laughs> Let's He's go. He's 15. Let's He's 15. Do you yeah. know do you know how hard it is to score in the Allsvenskan? Oh, in all of those you look at all of those uh, European pro leagues, like the best European pro leagues and what like top draft prospects do and it's always like five goals in 40 games and, 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 and people are like, "Wow, he produced really well." That historic <laughs> like, scoring yeah, race. Yeah, people are like, "Wow, that's really good." Like uh like to give you a sense of it. Um the year before, do you remember all the Jonathan Dahlin hype? 
the year before he was point per game in the Elsvanken. Yeah. Right? So it's like the Elsvanken's a tough pro league. Men, 15-year-old, hat trick in his debut. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, that's going to turn some heads. Yes. So uh, somebody texted in earlier, watch out, Gavin McKenna, Philip Eckberg is coming for you. Different draft years. Different draft years, Which yeah. is great, which means the Canucks can get both of them. <laughs> Very, very, very excited about the Eckberg McKenna Canucks uh, in a few years. Uh, some of the uh, some of the texts coming in on the Canucks versus the Ducks debate. Uh, this one unsigned. Ducks need these prospects to hit. They don't have much high end. I wouldn't say they don't have much high end. It's just again a question of what the ultimate ceiling of those high end is, guys. And this one says Canucks already have the high end pieces. Need to build around them. Uh, this one comes in. Anaheim actually has a chance to trend in the same direction as L.A. Vancouver has already decided to not build like that, so the odds are clearly in Anaheim's favor. That one is from Daniel That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I I see that argument. Again, they're just much closer to the, like, starting from scratch position for me than – they are to like oh they're gonna they're ready to hit the gas in the next couple but, of years. But starting from scratch can be a huge advantage. It can. As, it can. As Vegas and Seattle have shown us, right? Like scratch is better than capped out and twenty sixth now in the NHL. Twenty sixth. They're moving on up. Uh, six fifty. <laughs> six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, get your thoughts in on the Ducks or anything else. Uh, we'll get you an update from Morning Skate here uh, and play some Rick Talkett audio as well. And, of course, 10 minutes of positivity coming up in the next segment. I don't so think I got your... it in me today. Yeah. <laughs> you got it, man. We're locked in every day. This is your life now. Oh, you got to find a way to do it. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll do that. Get your submissions in as well. It's uh, Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Live from the Kintech studio here at Rogers Arena, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We were debating uh, who has the best chance of winning a cup, who has the better chance of winning a cup in the next five years, the Ducks or the Canucks. Chet and Burnaby texts in. Both of these teams will be looking up at future President's Trophy winners, the Arizona Coyotes. I think you mean the Houston Coyotes there, uh, chat. Well, well, we'll see what happens with the uh, the vote on their stadium uh, or their arena down in Tempe. But also, the thing with Arizona is, like, when are they going to switch to being a hockey team from being a, like, salary cap money laundering organization? That, that's, that's job one. Until they do that, until they flip that switch, they can have as many draft picks as they want, but it's not going to amount – uh, to much while they're in this. Yeah, party. they're like one of those MLB teams. Yeah. Like the Pirates. The Pirates are like the old yeah. Rays before they got really good and smart. It's like, yeah, we'll draft a bunch of players, but we're never going to do anything with yeah. them. We'll trade them all when they get good. Totally. There's a reason that I talk a little differently about Anaheim than I talk about Arizona. They're in their own They're in their own category. Yep. Arizona is complete. They're different than Chicago even. They're different than, uh, uh, than all of that. This one comes in as well. Uh, and, of course, they were both picked in 2019. Yes or no, if Zegers is available with the 10th pick, would the Canucks take him over Pod Colson? I don't know what the Canucks would have done. Sorry, sorry. I do know what the Canucks would have done. Zegris was ahead of Pod Colson on the list. Yeah. Like, 
I I didn't know that, but I would have been very surprised if that wasn't the case. I like, that was Seagrass, the case. I can tell you that it was surprising that he dropped. I, I can remember, tell you that for a fact. Multiple sources, I know that for a fact. I remember sitting there on the on the floor of the draft here in Vancouver, being like, "Oh man, is Zegers going to drop to the Canucks? That would be extremely exciting." What was ultimately he doesn't. What was far more like Zegers was ahead of Pod Colson on the list, but only by like only narrowly. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy they really wanted though was Broberg. Okay. Okay. Philip Broberg was like the apple of their eye, um, and in fact, they had an offer from the Coyotes who ended up trading up to get Victor Soderstrom. Yes. Okay. They had an offer from the Coyotes to do a similar deal to that one, um, which the fly- they ended up doing with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, and if they dropped back, I think the guys would have been Newhook and Fajimo. So you would have had Newhook and Fajimo instead of Pod Colson. Ultimately, the Canucks wanted to stay where they were in the, in at in their home in barn Vancouver to make a top do 10 a top pick. ten pick and um, but it was serious enough as a consideration that the club had like significant internal discussions about whether or not because if they traded back one of the guys it, you know Newhook ultimately is how it would have broken down but it might have been Peyton Krebs who was on crutches yes. and there was a lot of internal discussion about can you draft a guy who's injured in your home rink like what are the optics of that like. So it was a serious enough consideration uh, that it got to that point. Um, All right. Uh, We'll hear from Canucks head coach Rick Jock. Of course, his team taking on the Anaheim Ducks at 7. You can hear all the game day coverage. Before before we get a text in that says, where do you take Caulfield in a redraft? And there's a lot of, like, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of um, people who ask questions going forward about, like, should they have taken Caulfield instead of Pod Colson? Or should they have taken Matt Boldy instead Mm. of Pod Colson? And you know me, I'm a big Pod Colson stan. Mm-hmm. One thing to remember about those questions is that ultimately, if Pod Colson puts this together, and man, does it look like he's close, he's so much more unique than either player, right? Like, really good speedster top six forward in Matt Boldy, or undersized power play ace, killer sniper in Cole Caulfield, great players. But Pod Colson has a chance to be a heavy press. And those guys you cannot find, and if you do, eight years, eight seven seven years, yeah. seven years and six million. You're paying, you're paying through the nose yeah. for them, uh, but they're they can be hugely, hugely impactful. I don't think we're in that conversation yet with Boldy and Caulfield. Eh, we'll, some people we'll have see them. what happens next year. I think will be really big for Vasily Podkolzin, but it's one to monitor uh, down the way. Six fifty, six fifty. Keep getting your texts in. Uh, we'll do ten minutes of positivity, but first, let's hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. Well, it's, you know, <clears throat> those guys played most of, you know, this year in Abbotsford. And it seems like every game, the game's slowing down for them a little bit more. Um, and I, I like I, I gave Jeremy Colton some credit like a month ago. Like, it, they're, they've kind of, like, the system that they're doing is almost similar. And it's making it easier transition. So it's it's easier. I mean, obviously, it's a faster pace up here. But uh, I found that there's certain plays that uh, they've made under pressure. It's It's from the development down there. It just seems like the game's slowed down for them, and there's times where there's pressure hits that they, you know, they get the, some, you know, a little bit of habits being down there. But um, here, uh, I, I really like the fact that they've stuck together and, and really gave some good minutes for guys that, uh, you know, coming in a pinch. I thought they've done a terrific job for us. Do you think your defensive play's actually been better with this makeshift blue line over the course of the past week than it was in your first <clears throat> 15 games? Yeah, but I, I think, all fairness to the guys, the, the system has changed a little bit. Um, there's more responsibility from you know the, our wingers 
and centermen. It's not always on the defense. And the big thing is, you know, I felt <clears throat> like last game we, we, we kind of felt a little back a little bit. When we make a mistake, we're not making the second and third mistake. So we thought a couple weeks ago we did. Now we're starting to kind of hang in there. You, make, you know, it's a game of mistakes. And if one guy makes a mistake, the other four guys can hang in there to help him out. Um, and I think we're getting better as a team. That's what the good teams do. 19 games to go, nine are against teams with losing records out of the playoff yeah. picture. Does that allow you to, once again, reinforce the structure that you want, play the style that you want, and maybe build up the confidence that, you know, I think in the next year? Yeah, with us coaches, you know, we got a good staff here. Is a training camps, this is an extended training camp. Like, we can't. We, like I told you guys before, we can't waste games or practices. You know, we're trying to build something. Um, you know, and there's some, there's gonna be some games where playoff teams are jockeying for position or trying to get in. And I want to beat those teams, like every single one of them. That, that's kind of our. I hate to say it, it sucks not to be in the playoffs, but that's our playoff games. Um, and I don't care who we play. You know, <laughs> you know, Anaheim tonight. We, we can't. You know, we're what are we, 27th? We can't take anybody lately. So we got to play every game, whether they're non-playoff or not. Like, you know, it's a different game, every game. I think it's a one step at a time. I know these are cliches, but you have to have that mentality going into next year. You Thatcher yeah, Thatcher's playing tonight, yep. In terms of how you use him down the stretch, so yeah. what are your short-term and long-term goals for Thatcher? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you, you want to give him the bulk, but you know, I don't want him playing four or five in a row. I mean, I, I don't make it sense. He's, uh, I mean, he's been terrific those three games. Uh, he's really solid. Um, but I want to get him, you know, where he's playing a good stretch of games. So, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, talk to Clarkie and our philosophy, but I, I don't want him playing like five in a row. I really don't. Brock went on to PP1, looked from morning skate like Anthony Beauvillier is going back up. What are you thinking? What are you seeing out of your power play there? Well, I, I haven't really liked lately. Um, I, I need some retrieval, and guys will go to the net. I mean, uh, power plays are funny, right? Everybody wants plays and plays and plays, but uh, the really good power plays are about retrievals and, and coming up with, you know, it's really a middle shot with somebody in front. That's a good play, and I think right now we're getting a little bit out of that. So we just, you know, it's a competition. Who, who's willing to go in front some some shots for us and who's willing to, you know, if you're that middle bumper, you got to come up with some loose pucks. So, there's three or four guys who are, are vying for that job. So we'll see. Uh, it could probably be a game-to-game decision with some of those guys. We saw with expansion, right, that some guys who are playing on the fringes of an NHL roster, yeah. a bottom six role, bottom pair role, um, once they got a shot, it turned out maybe there was more there than anyone had thought. Um, is that something you can look for with some of the defenders who are getting a chance late in the season after the deadline? Well, it's a sustainability for me. You know, it's you know, it's an instant shot. You know, guys are playing well, but can they sustain it? You know, you're going to you know, you get three and four nights. You're going into Dallas. You know, the heat's on. Can you make those plays? You know, it's, that's what I look for. Uh, you know, is it sustainable? And that's why we have some guys in here now. You're looking, hey, can they sustain it? Not just for a week or two. Can they sustain it? Um, and you know, like it's a, whether it's you know we have, we have injuries right now, so it's whether it's a luxury. But I get to see if those guys can sustain it right now. I'm curious, your first let's say ten games, right? You were so frequently trailing that you didn't really get to see what you got to see in Dallas or what you got to see against the Leafs, where it's like a playoff caliber team trying to uh, come back in a game. What have you seen from your group to this point, and 
do you need to see more minutes in those situations to know what you have in some cases? With those guys? Well, just in terms of, yeah, uh, all, everyone defensively. Your team's defensively. <clears throat> yeah, no, no. I, see, me, to, to me, the real good game I liked is the Boston game where we hung in there. I know mm-hmm. that, you know, it was 2 nothing. We hung in there. We made it 2-1. to one. And we had a chance, you know, in the last couple of minutes we had some chance. And Allmark made a great saves. They got the empty net, obviously, the goalie, with the, the goalie scores. But maybe in the past, you know, we're losing five, six, nine. You know, guys start going all in. So we start pinching. You know, we lose F3. Guys don't – because guys want to score, they forget about the other part of the game. I think this team's getting better at them knowing, hey, it's okay. The good teams like Boston, I don't know how many times this year, they might be down one nothing, but you can never tell they're down. They just – continue to stay with their system and I call it get antsy and, and I think our players are getting better at that just don't get antsy just stay with the system there's plenty of time to get back in the game is that like tactical news or just knowing how to win like how would well you it's know? knowing how to win and trust um and being a good teammate like you know if you know it's it's okay some shifts to to let the game come along maybe if you had a good you know it's okay sometimes in your you're in your end and nothing really happened and you hand it off to the next line instead of you're all in you make a bad change because you're trying to score, and then you, you hand your crap off the other line. I think that's good teams don't do that to each other. I had a chance to ask you about yeah. the last game. I think there was about eight minutes that Brock didn't play early in the second. Did you just lose him for a bit? Or? Well, I, I, there, was a, there was a Bacuzzi and Brock. I sat for about four or five minutes. I didn't like the, you know, they, were, they, were, they didn't like the way they were playing either, so I sat them for about, I think it was four minutes. I got him back out there, though. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking uh, to the media. A lot to you as well, Drantz, or almost a one-on-one with you and Talk before the game against the Anaheim Ducks today. Talking a little bit. You saying I dominated the scrum? You criticized me? It wasn't a criticize. It wasn't a criticism. It was just harsh. It was just, hey, that's that's another Drantzer question. (laughs) You got got your questions in. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. No. Listen, man, I'm not not here to police scrum etiquette. I don't know. I'm not down there. You guys, you you guys do whatever you do down there. It's no skin off my back, uh, either way. But more, you know, a lot of the same notes from Rick Tockett, right? And I will say before we get to ten minutes of positivity here, I do find the juxtaposition between this is an extended training camp and also these are our playoff games a little bit interesting because those are two a little very, bit. Those are very different circumstances: training camp and playoff games with very different uh, demands of how you run a team. I mean, I'd love to see this team treat it like an extended training camp. Here, you know what? I don't want to go off on the, like, don't harm your chances of <laughs> making a, taking a seismic step forward next year. I'm, I'm not going to fall into that trap. I'm going to do my extended 10 minutes of positivity early by not. Like, I, I'm this is this is positivity by omission. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure that counts. What I thought was really interesting was the use of the word sustainability in reference to what he's seeing from this cobbled together back end mm-hmm. of guys like Guillaume Brisebois, who we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah, well, way. he's going to be in 10 minutes of positivity. So if we want to get into it, we can. Okay. Well, so this this will All right. be a through line. No, no, no. I okay, don't want to okay. get into it yet. Okay, I'm not okay. ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's interesting because Willannon, Brisebois, Kyle Burroughs, Although we, I think we think of him as more of a Canucks player, yes, right, and we should. He he's been on this roster for two years. He's he's not on a one way deal, but he's going to have earned an NHL level contract, fully in full for two consecutive seasons, mm-hmm. right? And Noah Juleson, like we're talking about guys who've like gone through injury, right? 
Guillaume Brisebois missed all of last season. Noah Juleson's career was almost ended by a by a facial injury uh, that he's managed to fight back from. These guys have been on waivers. They've been claimed. They've gone through waivers unclaimed. Um, they've been up. They've been down. They've played hundreds of AHL games. And all of a sudden, they've got this 20-game stretch where they're going to get a, a meaningful look at the NHL to show what they can do. And to this point... I think they've moved the puck better than the Canucks have all season. Like, this has been the best we've seen Vancouver's blue line look. They're slightly faster than the likes of Shen, Stillman, OEL. Mm -hmm. They moved the puck slightly better than the Canucks blue line did with those three guys in the lineup. And the impact that that's having on how this team can play is massive. Now, there's a couple takeaways from this that are worth getting into, but I'm going to bring up the one that most serves my agenda. (laughs) Which is this. There's this misnomer, this false dichotomy that's set up between the retool and the retool and rebuild debate, which is like, you just want to lose every game for the next three years? And it's like, look, like, in the NHL now, there's really good players like Christian Willannon who haven't gotten an opportunity, but who can probably be totally serviceable in, in a third-pair role. There's guys like Kyle Burrows who I genuinely think could be totally serviceable for you in top four minutes. Like, there are players, Ethan Bear's a really good example, too, coming from Carolina, where he was a healthy scratch 29 consecutive times. Jalen Chatfield for Carolina, look, look at that this season. There are ways to get contributions out of guys who, if I throw their name out right now and be like, that guy could play top four minutes, literally the inbox would fill up by people, people saying, scoff at it. Yeah. Right, and, and by the way, same reaction in hockey ops boardrooms. But the expansion drafts have proven this. Like, William Carlson can be on a fourth line and then be a first-line caliber center the next season and for the rest of his career. I mean, you don't necessarily have to lock yourself into being bad simply because you're being responsible and prudent. You can play and shop in the garbage bin and be every bit as good as the 80-point team that this team is going to be despite spending to the cap on bigger-name players who have contributed less in some instances, than the Canucks have gotten over the course of the past two weeks from guys who were, you know, slotted to be 10th and 11th defensemen organizationally before the season began. All right, let's get to it. Ten minutes of positivity. We do it every day now here on Canucks Talk. And, uh, I mean, you were talking about the depth defensemen. They've been the subject of a lot of chatter this week. How about Guillaume Brisebois signing the two-year extension with the Canucks and in the second year of that deal... It is a one-way contract, which means a fully guaranteed NHL salary for Guillaume Brisebois, not next year, but the year after that. And I'm not, I'm not going to spin this into a, a win for the Canucks organization or a massive positive, but I just want to focus on the positive. Jim Benning knew. For, he did. <laughs> I want to focus the on the positive. The Canucks won the Eddie Lack trade. It's true. <laughs> I want to focus on the positives for Guillaume Brisebois. Okay. Right? Like, drafted in 2015 – He's now played 19 NHL games, but spraced over four seasons. Like, he made his debut in the 2018-2019 season, okay? Yeah. There's been year, there, there was a year in there where he didn't play in the NHL at all. There's other year where he played one game, right? Like, his NHL opportunities have been few and far between. Sticks with it at the AHL level, gets these NHL opportunities, and now gets the two-year deal, including the fully guaranteed NHL salary in the second year. That's awesome. That is huge for him. It's really cool. Like he, he's kind of a meme player, 
You know what I mean? Because of the Jim Benning, Breeze Baugh, and like all that, and just like, and he's been around. He's forever. been around forever. He, I mean, he's signed his ELC before Brock Besser. Yes, it, right. He signed his ELC before Thatcher Demko. Yeah, right. Because Thatcher Demko spent three years at college. Like, yeah, depending th- on how you like measure it, whether it's from draft day, he might or be the ELC, longest. You can make the argument he's Canuck. the longest tenured guy in the Canucks I, I organization. Think, I, I think he is. Yeah. Which is absolutely wild. But it's really, it's awesome to see a guy like that get rewarded. And you know what? As we talk about the importance of the AHL franchise and the Abbotsford franchise, they obviously feel really good about him being a part of that or else they don't sign him to this deal. And I think that's a credit to his work ethic and all those. Like, I did just want to say, okay, so uh, Guillaume Brisebois' NHL debut, February 2019, the other defenseman No, on this the is positivity. Line, no, no, no. I'm no, just saying. It's the, a, the moment you read these names, no, no, it's no. not a positive no, no, no. segment. It's positive for Guillaume Brisebois. It was Troy Stetcher, Ben Hutton, Erica Branson, Alex Biega, and Derek Pouliot. See, how is this positive? Brisebois outlasted all of them. Huh. He outlasted all of them. Good for him. It's awesome to see. I'm stoked. I love the persistence. I love these stories. And here's one Great last Great story. Every time. Here's one last thing I want to bring up really quickly about Brisebois before I go to my positivity. Yes. You don't last like this in an organization across multiple coaches, across uh, an AHL relocation, um, multiple different management teams. Mm -hmm. You do not last in a low-leverage role, in a depth-type role like Brisebois has if you are not the absolute tip-top quality of human being, right? Like, when a guy signs a deal like this, it's, it's partly because they are the best. They are, like, legitimately... You won't find someone to say a yeah. bad word about them. A real this this sort of deal is a real credit to Brisebois' character. The yeah. fact that he's a just a you, good guy. You, you're not you don't want especially you don't want a person like that around your AHL team, right? No, Where you're no, like no. really counting on developing your young players unless you have confidence in the person. You know, I don't know if I've ever said this before, but the th- worst thing to be in the NHL is he's a lot of work for X, mm. right? You never want to be like. He's a lot of work for a backup goalie. I'm talking internally, like support staff, you know, coaches. Yeah. The high maintenance. Now, it's one thing to be high maintenance and a hundred point guy, because then it's like he's not. No one's ever going to be like he's a lot. Of, it's like yeah, he's a star player. Like he pays the like. Yeah. People are the, paying to see him. The <laughs> work to production ratio has to be <laughs> has to line but, up. But this is what happened. Like I worked with Yarmir Yager toward the end of his career, right? And Yager was a lot of work because of his own fitness demands, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. he worked out at all all manners of of hour. He needed access to, right? But when he went to the other organization of the Flames organization that last season of his career it was like kind of over for him he was he became a guy who was like a lot of work for a third liner yeah right like you you never want to be a lot of work for x that's like the worst thing to be internally in the nhl he's a lot of work for a depth defenseman right he's a lot of work for a bottom six guy that's what you don't want guillaume brisbois clearly zero work at all and that's partly uh why he's earned uh, a fully guaranteed nhl salary for the first time in his career long time coming kudos to him all right you ready for this? Let's go. So ready. Dakota Joshua. Yes. Beco- becoming one of my guys. I, I like. I have so much time for the way that Dakota Joshua plays, for how hard he goes to the net, for the battles he wins along the wall, particularly in terms of uh, the defensive half wall. Like when, when you get that puck along the wall mm. as a winger, he gets it out always. He always gets it out. He's so reliable. He's got nine goals. Right, we're we're literally going to see him have five fights and ten goals this season. That's a rare profile and a super valuable one. 
I asked him for his reaction the other day to the Tanner Genot trade. And I was like, I'm just curious because I see that and I think, I wonder what Dakota Joshua's trade value is. Now, I know you don't think of it that way. Right. But, but trade value can but, also equal contract value. So, But, but do you, does, does that sort of cause your ears to perk up? And, you know, he noted that he's never scored 25 goals. But appreciates, you know, the, the fact that players like that, players that play hard like that are, are heavy, uh, can do some of the things that teams need to create space out there, are viewed as valuable contributors by some of the best teams in the league. That was something that he noted. And I thought that was a really thoughtful answer um, from a player who I think's played his best hockey for the Canucks over the last two weeks. And I thought his game on Monday against Nashville was probably the best one he's played, period. Like, I thought that was apex Dakota Joshua. I think we're going to see a lot of meaningful, good, high-quality games from him down the stretch. Yeah, here. and he's the guy, well, you, you know, you start listing all the different bodies that are going to figure into the wings discussion, right? And like even the top nine wings discussion for the Canucks next year. And you got to start putting Dakota Joshua's name in that mix, like for all the reasons that you just outlined. He's been a really good find for this team towards the bottom of their roster this year. 650, 650, you can get your submissions in. Uh, we'll continue to kind of check in around the Pacific Division Next, one of the most interesting teams in hockey this year, the Calgary Flames. They got a win last night, but is it too late for them? Uh, Pat Steinberg from our sister station, Sportsnet 960 in Calgary, will join us next. That's coming up. It's Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio at Rogers Arena, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintec.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber Text line. You can keep getting your thoughts in. Right now, we will uh, we will go to the phone boards as we continue to check in on teams around the Pacific Division. One of the most interesting teams in the league this year, and I think certainly going into the offseason and next season, uh, the Calgary Flames. And now joining us from our pals in Calgary, Sportsnet 960, he is the great Pat Steinberg. Pat, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm well. How are we doing today? Uh, we're doing great. You're, we're very excited to watch uh, two... Two bottom-of-the-standing teams and the Canucks and the Ducks go at it <laughs> tonight. Should be an interesting one, but uh, how about that Calgary game last night? What did you make of uh, the goal that was called back and, and how everything unfolded there? That was, uh, I mean, more than anything else, that was just clearly Jacob Markstrom's best game of the season. I think that's the, the number one takeaway that you have to you have to have from that game for a guy who is really struggled for the vast majority of the season and and maybe the most trying professional season Jacobs ever had. First three quarters of the season were a nightmare for him based on what we're uh, what we're used to. So he's now made five straight appearances and and he started in four consecutive games now and he's looked good and it was punctuated by that 40 save performance and, and finally has his first shutout of the season and the flames have their first shutout of the season in game 65. So that, that, that is the number one thing, just how 
well Jacob carried the team. And, and finally, for the first time this year, yeah, it's a shutout. But it's also a night where the Flames stole two points. And that is not something that we have seen from this group this year. They, they have not had a goaltender stealing points. They have not been able to find ways to win games when they've been the team on the back foot. And so they did that as well. I mean, Minnesota, especially as that game went along in their circumstances, the, you know, third game in four nights and mm. uh, second half of back-to-back, tough travel, blah, blah, blah. But first time all year that they were clearly the second best team on the ice and, and found a way to get a couple of points. So that was big. I give Minnesota a ton of credit. They played really well. They're eight zero and two in their last 10 and, you know, the Flames, the Flames worked hard. It, it wasn't a lack of effort or it wasn't a, a lack of, of commitment or desperation or anything like that. They just weren't on their A game and still found a way to win. So that was big. I thought the offside, I thought they made the right call. And I only say that because of, I think, how I understand the rule and how I understand possession. And had Jared Spurgeon not passed the puck, Almost immediately after he crossed the blue line, I think they would have called that an onside goal. But because it was off his stick so quickly and he didn't make kind of the, the quote-unquote football move, right? It's kind of the <laughs> same idea as, as, as the catch rule in the NFL. He didn't do that. He got, he got it off his stick so quickly. He never like firmly established possession once he and the puck were past the blue line. So I think that's why they called it offside. And I think it was the right call. And and the Flames found a way to win it in the shootout. That's that's two straight wins where they kind of pulled it out of the fire. They got Tyler Toffoli's goal with less than seven seconds to go uh, on Monday in Dallas to pick up a regulation win, and then they get Tyler Toffoli's fourth round shootout winner to pick up the shootout win last night. So big couple of big couple of wins for them at a time when they absolutely need it right now. Pat. I'll I'll get back into the schedule stuff shortly because the Flames have a fascinating sort of rest of the month where you've got a trio of cupcakes coming up and then a gauntlet that will decide their season. But but before I get back into the micro of the Flames' playoff chances, I want to get your sense, uh, or I want you to give our audience a sense, of exactly what's going on in the Halls of Power in Calgary because this team feels like, in in normal circumstances, you know, a, a classic target for a team to change coaches and get the bounce and yet things are complicated behind the scenes in Calgary aren't they what what can you tell us about where things are at organizationally at the moment I think uh I think complicated is a good word um there it's a really interesting spot they find themselves in right now so to kind of to kind of give the the background on it so Daryl Sutter wins the Jack Adams last year. They they win the Pacific Division. They go to Game Five and Round Two against Edmonton, so on and so forth. And and so they come in this year, and and Daryl gets his contract extension, um, and he's signed for the next two years after this one. But no contract extension for General Manager Brad Treliving. Now, I from from how I understand it, and. Uh, my belief on the situation and, and my intel on the situation. I don't believe that's because there's been no contract offers. I don't believe it's because the Flames want him to be a lame duck. I think we're talking about uh, two sides negotiating right now. Brad Living is a very savvy negotiator when it comes to player contracts. 
And I think what we're learning right now is he's a very savvy negotiator when it comes to his own contract. And so uh, there's not been anything that has gotten done to this point. So we're in a spot now where, okay, general manager doesn't have a contract for next year. Uh, His assistant general managers don't have contracts for next year. And none of the assistant coaches have contracts for next year. All we know is that Daryl Sutter has a contract extension as head coach for next year. And I know there's a lot of people who believe that Daryl has eyes on being general manager again. I don't think that is the case from what I understand, but he is the guy who, or the only guy kind of in the hockey operations department who has security beyond this season. Now, it's important to point out that that's kind of the way the Flames have always gone about their business. And this is not new for them. Really, when they extended Brad for living in, I guess it would have been the fall of 2019, uh, when they extended him and made sure he was not going to be a lame duck GM that year, that was kind of a departure for them. The, the, the way this group has always gone about it, they, they usually don't do extensions until the end of the last season. So it's not like this is a complete departure from how they go about things, but because of the coach's status, And because of the way this season has gone and because there have been multiple instances where I think it's fair to say the coach and general manager have not seen eye to eye or who have have been on different pages, it it makes things a whole lot more to steal your term complicated. And that's where we are right now. There's still plenty of to, to on the micro side of things. There's still plenty of room or plenty of time for the Flames to figure this season out still and for them to potentially get back to the postseason despite the math not being in their favor. But regardless of what happens here, it's going to be a very, very interesting offseason because as much as, you know, there's a lot of people thinking, well, I mean, Brad's for a living. they, they got to bring him back. It's not just Calgary's choice. It, it's Brad's choice as well. And, you know, if, if all of a sudden – he and Daryl Sutter remain on different pages and maybe Brad decides to go somewhere else. Maybe he decides it is time for a chance. He's keeping his cards very close to the best that you'd expect on this one. But yeah, it's complicated and, and it's kind of added a, an extra shadow or extra layer to this season, especially with how disappointing the team has mm. been through a little bit more than three quarters. So yeah, it's, it's, it remains, I think, kind of the most fascinating and without question largest macro story with the micro story being whether or not this group can get their crap together and, and end up being a playoff team or not. And, and Pat, you know, you mentioned the the fact that Trey Living and Sutter have not necessarily always seen eye to eye this year. And, you know, from however many miles away we are here in Vancouver, you know, often the, the disagreements between a coach and a GM are maybe the GM is being a little too patient and hasn't improved the team enough. But, you know, Brad Trey Living really pushed his chips into the middle, added some very talented players to this team, made the best of a tough situation in the summer. What's the root of the disagreement and the difference in uh, in, in perspectives between Trey Living and Sutter? Well, I think the main thing is uh, the utilization of younger players. And I think there's kind of been a couple of different instances. So number one, uh, Matthew Phillips is a, a local product here. He's uh, a very undersized player. There's no doubt about it, but he is tearing up the American league for a second consecutive year. And he's gotten about 14 minutes of NHL time. Um, and, and that was something that I think was, the the first I don't want to say flashpoint I think that's a little dramatic but it was kind of the the, the first instance where you're like okay 
you know, general manager recalled the player and they brought him in and they didn't play him right away, but then they did play him when they did play him. He played, I think eight minutes or nine minutes in his first game and seven minutes in his second game, never really got an opportunity to show what he was all about. Then he was out of the lineup and he's been back in the American league ever since. And then the second time was with Jacob Pelche and there was even more. And let me, let me tell you, because Matthew Phillips is a Calgary product, Calgary minor hockey product, all of that type of stuff. And because he's this underdog sixth round pick undersized hockey player, there, there's definitely um, a hue and cry for him to get more of an opportunity and even more so this year because the group six free agent at the end of the year, but it, it was even louder when it came to 2019 first round pick Jacob Pelche. And so they finally brought Pelche up and he sat, I want to say for uh, the better part of two weeks as a healthy scratch um, and people were like, when is this guy going to get in? Then he made his debut in a home game against Tampa Bay. And, and Daryl Sutter was asked about him after the game and kind of, it was, was it was very, very uh, well publicized. Yeah, he goes and says, which number was he? Yeah, he was 49. <laughs> then he read his stat line, and that's all he gave you. And so I think that uh. was the the utilization and how it's gone with Jacob Pelche was the second time where Coach and GM were like, what, 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 why are they on such different pages on this one? Now, since then, Pelche's played 19 consecutive games and has been a really good player. But So th- those are two of the examples where I think it's pretty clear that General manager had one idea. Coach had another idea. Uh, Brad's been, you know, very adamant a couple times on our station, um, doing our shows, or just talking with the public about, you know, um, we bring players up and and look, the coaches always decide how they want to utilize the players. But he's kind of gone out of his way to say, yeah, we hope there's more guys that get the opportunity to to get into the lineup. So I think that's kind of been the main area where there's been a little bit of, um, a little bit, I'm trying to think of the right disagreement um, or, or they just haven't necessarily been on the same plane. Pat, I think our listeners can imagine what my tone would be if a team was the age that the Calgary flames are, has as much underlying talent as the Calgary flames do and had this many key leaders clearly sparring, but also with no job security on the line. Like, how can you waste this much, like, 26 and over talent on one roster on a season that's been this dysfunctional? Well, and it's it's one of the things where, you know, it, it's, it's one of the frustrating parts of this season, right? Because you go out and do what they did in the offseason – and, you know, I think organizationally, even beyond the, above the hockey operations department, I think organizationally, um, it was kind of dictated that if there's an opportunity for the group to stay competitive, even with Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk departures, uh, one of them in free agency and, and one of them obviously uh, not asking for a trade, but saying, I'm not going to sign here beyond this next season. I think the the mandate was, yeah, if we can stay competitive, that's the way to go. So I think they had four, three or four different trade offers on the table for Kachuk, and they, they went with the one that kept them the most competitive, which, of course, was the Florida deal. And that was the only one that brought back the type of right-now players that Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger are. So they make that deal, and they they clearly – 
defined what the organization is going to be and what the window is. And, and you know, you can have your, your different opinions. Is it a two-year window? Is it a four-year window? Is it a three-year window? I don't know. Nobody knows that stuff for sure. But it's a defined period of time where they've got a chance to be a really competitive, potentially contending team. And in year one, to completely have it go offside and off the rails like it has to this point, is frustrating because when you have a finite window, wasting one year is is really frustrating and, and difficult to accept. So that's kind of what we're talking about. I, I get exactly what you're saying, man. So like you, you can't you, you can't waste years when your window is is so slim and and so defined. So that's why getting into the playoffs is still such a huge thing for them. It's why I understand that despite, you know, a loss to Minnesota over the weekend where they were horrible and fell seven points back in the playoff spot that night, I, I get why it was never a consideration to throw in the towel and be like, okay, you know what, we're going we're gonna to start shutting players down and we're going to start bringing young players in and, and basically start looking ahead to next year because, with as you said, with as many over 26, over 27-year-old players this team has, uh, they they have to make sure that they put everything into this season. Now I get why they didn't go all into the trade deadline. That would have been, mm. I think, beyond uh, beyond silly for them to do that. But I still think that with this group, with what they did in the off season, they have to at the very least take their best shot to get into the playoffs, despite how frustrating and disappointing the first three quarters of the season is. We'll see if they can do it. The math does not favor them. I don't think Winnipeg's going to scuffle forever here, and they need at least one team to give them a lot of help. And the Jets are that team who's doing it right now, but I don't know if they're going to do that forever. So uh, it's going to be a, still a very difficult uphill climb, even with these last two wins that they've been able to pull out of the fire. A couple more minutes here with uh, Pat Steinberg. He's the host of Flames Talk uh, on Sportsnet. 960 and Pat you know one of my favorite things about doing this job and the job you do in Calgary is you have a direct line to hear what the fan base thinks at any given time and I look specifically at the season that Jonathan Huberto has had so far in Calgary and the contract that kicks in for him next year how concerned are you about that deal and and I think more interestingly for me what's the tenor of the fan base uh, on the Huberto situation well, I'm concerned about it, and I uh, I think that I would be on the low end compared <laughs> to where uh, where Flames fans are at this point. Yeah, they're they're terrified about it. That's the biggest contract, without question, by ten or eleven country miles that the Flames have ever ever signed. Like right now, Jonathan Huberto's season. I don't even know if it's good value compared to the deal he's on at five point nine. Let alone what's going to happen starting next season when he goes to 10 and a half and you know for him to be looking at essentially doubling his contract or close to doubling his AAV next year and and having one of the worst statistical drops year over year that we've seen in recent times that's uh that's hard to swallow now the one thing that I keep saying, and you know, we talk to, we tell, we take calls after every game as you guys yeah. do. And we, we, we take the text. The one thing that I keep saying is, is Jonathan Huberto having a good season? Of course he's not. Is this disappointing? Absolutely. It is. And is it concerning knowing what's going to happen next year? 100%. But they did not go out and acquire Huberto for the 22, 23 season alone. They did not sign him and, and have him locked up for, 
nine years as a member of the Calgary Flames, this year and the eight years that starts next year. They didn't do that based on one season and based on the fate of one season. And, and I think what we definitely underestimated was how difficult the adjustment was going to be for him specifically. He didn't want to leave Florida. He thought he was going to stay in Florida. The Panthers were the organization he wanted to, he wanted to sign long-term with. The next thing you know, he's traded to Calgary. And then you got to go through that and get over that and figure that out. And now you sign your long-term deal. And now you come in and you want so badly to be a difference maker. And I think it's fair to say, we talked a little earlier about not being on the same page. I think it is extremely fair to say that there have been times this year where Jonathan and Daryl Sutter have not been on the same page, and there's been uh, – What makes I you say that, Pat? More... I... <laughs> oh, you know, there's, there's, been, there's been a few comments and uh, just the way he's been used, and he hasn't. There, there's been no constant fit for him. I just think it's something that, that has been – a learning curve, a difficult learning curve for Jonathan as well. A coach is relentless and blunt and detail-oriented as Daryl Sutter is. I think it's been an adjustment on and off the ice for Jonathan. Uh, and and so what, what I would say kind of to be optimistic and the thing that I think is worth at least finding out is if year two could be different. Because year two, there won't be the shock of a trade. Year two, there won't be the same type of adjustment to a brand new head coach that Jonathan's really never had uh, the experience of playing for or, or a coach like that. And, and he comes in with just a different perspective and, and a little bit more perspective as to what he is now a part of. And I just think if you sign a guy to an $84 million contract sight on scene without him ever playing a game, it's probably worth it to let it play out for more than just an 82-game season. And I'm not saying it's going to be markedly better. I'm not going to say that he's going to go from being on pace for like 53 points or whatever he is, and next year he's going to be on pace for 97. I'm not suggesting that that's a guarantee, but at the very least, I think you owe it to yourself to find out. And really, they don't have a choice. It's not like it's a movable contract. It's not like, it's not like there's going to be a lot of teams lining up after the year he's had it. Yeah, yeah, we'll take that $84 million right now. So it's almost that like they don't have a choice, but I think it's worth it from a fan standpoint even to see what you've got in year two and see how much better it can be in year two with, with Huberto especially because Uyghur's game has gradually grown and gradually gotten better to the point where he's been one of their best players here over the last 10 or 11 games. So it's been less of a thing with McKenzie, but it's definitely been – something there with with Huberdeau and I'm fascinated to see where this one goes as well. Pat really appreciate the time man uh, thanks for the insight. All right boys be well. That is you too we Pat. Will. Thank you. That is uh, Pat Steinberg uh, host of uh, our counterpart show Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960 and uh, you know you brought up the why haven't they made a coaching change right because like this team is crying out for well, a coaching change. He's the only guy with term. Yeah uh, and Rager texts in uh Bruce, there he is. Do you think do you think Jonathan Huberto would like playing for Bruce Boudreau? I, I legitimately believe, I legitimately believe that if the Flames hired Bruce Boudreau to be their head coach tomorrow, they would be a Stanley Cup contender. Like, they'd for sure make the playoffs, and I think they'd be a real threat. That is, like, the ideal situation for Bruce Boudreau, where oh, it's, yeah. like, the residual Daryl Sutter structure if it's not going to go away overnight. Exactly. But then you come in and just, like, turbo boost the vibes. I, I legitimately believe, too, that some team 
whether Bruce gets a job this summer or not, some team is going to look at him as a turnaround specialist for to, to replace a coach, and it has to be like a particular type of coach, too. Yeah. It has to be a drill sergeant coach who t- players have tuned out, right? Like, uh, like Bruce Cassidy was in Boston, right? Or like... Uh, Daryl Sutter clearly is in Calgary, uh, and I think if you if you find that Babcock in Toronto, I think the the right situation where you bring in Bruce Boudreau to be your turnaround specialist, I think he'll crush that just like he did here. The other fascinating thing with Calgary is like Lindholm UFA next year, Backlund who's you know thirty three but like a really sick. really good player Backlund for them, is sick really good player is a UFA next year, Hannafin Tanev UFA is next year. It's like Backlund, that's a Backlund is at a level of, as a defensive player that we haven't seen in Vancouver since Prime Ryan Kessler. Like, yeah, that's how really good Backlund good. is. He's really good. Yeah, um, like as much as it's you know maybe all you say it's a four or five year window like next year it's. It's crunch time when you look at the key players well, and that, that are up and, for them next and year. And the ages of their group. Yeah. I mean, I would say this year is crunch time. You know, like, it probably would have been reckless to buy at the deadline considering where they're at in the standings and their actual percentage chances of making the playoffs. But I'll be honest with you. I kind of think it was reckless not to. Like, you have two years. You've built a team whose expiry date is very soon. Yeah. And the West is wide open. Like, you got to go for it. And and what's what's wild to me is that they've structured it so that the guy who clearly, in, in my view anyway, is most responsible for this team flatlining, I mean, aside from their goalie. Well, that's, yeah, that's the other part of it. Aside from their goalie is uh, is the one guy who they absolutely are invested in. It, it makes absolutely no sense. And, and by the way, I'd add this. They have the best goalie in the American League. Like, there's a solution. Right there. Why wouldn't you give that a shot? You know, you want to be you want to be the 2019 Blues. You're not doing better as a as a Bennington stand-in than Dustin Wolf. Come on. I, I I don't even know how many times my brain would have broken if we covered the Calgary Flames. By the way, <laughs> if this was Flames talk, I would have been so upset all season long. Particularly because right, un- unlike <laughs> unlike you are doing Canucks talk. Well, but uh, yeah. So you know what? It would have been the exact. It would have been same. very similar. It would have been the same, except that I would have been wrong about everything because I thought the Flames. Oh, because you be thought great. they were going to be good. Yeah. yeah. I still think they could be a easy Stanley Cup contender next year. Maybe easy is to is pushing it too much, but like with a coaching change, I, I I agree with you because the the talent level there. I mean, I watch them play too, and I'm like, this team's good. Like this team is genuinely good. But yeah, the the goaltending has killed them this year, and I think so is the fact that, you know. It, you, you you can just sniff, you can sniff it out when a team's just like done with a coach. And I'm not always good at that because I don't tend to think coaches make that big an impact. That's like an implicit bias that I have that I think caused me to be late to it. For example, with Travis Green mm. in November of uh, of 2019, 2019, 2021, 20, 21, yeah, November 20, 2019. Oh man, all the years blend together after COVID. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I, but this one, this one, you can smell from a mile away. Uh, we'll get back into the Canucks talk. Uh, final look ahead to the game tonight against the Anaheim Ducks. Keep your thoughts coming in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Final segment of the show coming up here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome, welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet. 650. Uh, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here. 
for the final segment live from Rogers Arena in the Kintec studio uh, ahead of the Canucks playing the Anaheim Ducks tonight at 7 o'clock. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And I was chuckling there because just as I uh, was, we were coming back, I read a text in the Dunbar Lumber text line from our guy Chet and Burnaby who says, I think you guys should have a segment called Needle Mover or Just a Guy brought to you by Jags Furniture. <laughs> Oh, wow. Which is such a great fit. Such I don't know fit. if they want the comparison to being just a guy. No. But, of course, Jag, a fantastic sponsor of our trade deadline coverage. And just chat. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Jag furniture. Very but good like, stuff. But, like, just a guy furniture, like, that's what you want. That sounds cozy. No, you want your furniture to be moving the needle. Oh, okay. You want it to move the needle. I don't know. You know what I mean? No. Like, that sounds like... um. That's like over-designed, you know, like a conversation no. piece. I want my furniture to be lived in and cozy. I want it to move the comfort needle. Well, sure, okay, but that's... That's the needle I want to but, move. But, I mean, I think I think of just a guy as being, you know, a very comfortable option. All right. Well, what a great debate. Um, <laughs> this, this is almost as good as the take theory from, from yesterday. Hey, the take theory is a good one. Would you rather have... Furniture that moves the needle or furniture that is just a guy? I would rather have takes that are indecipherable from good takes or bad takes when you first say them and then turn out to be right. Takes that are indecipherable. I love it. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, of an old take of yours, mm. so I don't know exactly when this happened, but we had this debate a fair amount I think in it like was, the I midpoint think it was, of the season. I, I think it was I like, say like December. I feel like it was late January. Okay. So it was like right before they fired Bruce. Okay. Okay. When I started doing my it's too late to tank. Sure. Thing. Sure. Sure. And and you were skeptical. You were like, these guys look so checked out. I believe that they can lose out. And I said, I believe. And I said, nope, this team is going to win. Their save percentage is going to regress. They're going to make a coaching change, and people are going to say, look at the structure they're playing with now. This team, my goodness, they're a different team now. It was a take that may have been indecipherable at the time, but 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 has it aged well? Well, parts of it have. If, are people buying but in? But the specific? Yes. This, I never said no. I didn't say people I never are said buying that nobody in. would buy in. I never uh, said that nobody would buy in. People are buying in. The specific points number you put on it, though, 82 okay. and a half. Pretty high. Pretty high. So 82 and a half. So the Canucks right now, 57 points in 63 games. Because remember, even with talk it, they're like, what, one point above 500? Yep, but they're through the hard part. They're through the hard part, yes. Okay, so they have 57 points in 63 games. This is my theory working because we know what happens to the schedule. Cake City. So they need to get to 83. So for me to lose that bet, they need 26 points in their final 19 games. That's a 112-point pace. Gonna happen. Possible over a short sample. I feel confident. Possible over a short sample. I'm not cashing out. Put it that way. I'm feeling good. I'm not cashing out either. Like I'm, I'm, I would make that bet still today. Oh yeah, me too. Eighty-two and a half. Me too, and I'd get better odds. I mean, the odds are now in your favor, no doubt. Yes, but look, they've gone up. They've crept to your schedule for sure. My goodness. Yeah, they're gonna win tonight. They still have going away. They're going to win tonight. Going away. Five-one. They still have the pesky sends. The Sens are good. The Sens on Saturday. Okay, that's, still that's Dallas. a tough one. Da- next game is Dallas. I know they just beat Dallas, but still. The no, Dallas no, is Dallas a good is team. good. Yeah. Um, they have L.A., I think, three times. Okay. But they the, have, but L.A. LA is not as good as their record. Okay, sure. But they So so they have Dallas remaining twice. They have I'm, L.A. I'm three times. I'm still fading the L.A. Kings. They have Ottawa. They have Vegas. 
and they have Calgary twice. Well, now, and they have Seattle once. So, so, so playing spoiler for the Calgary Flames in their madcap dash for the playoffs is going to be one of the few highlights we have to look forward to for this connection. Potentially. So there's still... It, yes, the There's schedule is really, really easy. But, man, the rest of them are absolute. Read the rest of them. Oh, yeah, no, the rest of them are like the dregs <laughs> of the league. <laughs> absolute, Other than the teams I just mentioned, it's Anaheim, Arizona, Chicago, San Jose, the, basically. The Canucks, the Canucks are going to have more cupcakes down the stretch here than I'd have at a five-year-old's birthday party. Just like double-fisting cupcakes. <laughs> Save some for the kids. No. I absolutely will not. <laughs> We were, uh, we're we're doing a joint fi- uh, fifth birthday party for my daughter and her friend coming up, or a couple of her friends coming up. And we were like having a planning session with the adults, uh, with the parents recently. That sounds like, awful. Someone was like, "You've just described no, my nightmare." Someone, no, we were like drinking, sitting around drinking wine and like talking about our kid's birthday party. It was great, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and someone was like sheepishly like, "What for food?" Like. I know it's the easy way out, but should we just order pizza? And we we're all just like, why would we not order pizza? Yeah, <laughs> of course we should just order pizza. The easy way out. <laughs> yeah. The easy and delicious way out. Let's <laughs> order a ton of pizza. <laughs> Sounds good to let's, me. Let's order enough to have leftovers. Come <laughs> yeah, on. Exactly. Let's win. A t- let's order a ton of pizza. But basically, I'm still, I'm still feeling good. Like, that's a really high point pace. They're going to get For there. them to do. 83 points, baby. Uh, 83 care. points and the ninth overall pick at the 2023 NHL entry draft. Perfect range to trade it. Now, the one I am feeling uh, really good about is that they will finish much more than five and a half points back of the Seattle Kraken, which was another bet you gave me early in the season. Because uh, I was fading the Kraken. Then. Yes. Yeah, it was a 10-point right. gap then. It's now a 23-point gap. Yeah, yeah, so no, I'm, I'm feeling pretty I've good lost. about that, that one. I've lost. Yeah. I'm feeling pretty good about that one. Um, I think I believe there was also one centered around the Buffalo Sabres at some point. I'm making the playoffs? No, it was uh, with the Canucks finish better than the Sabres. And I said no? You said the Canucks would finish better than the Sabres. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully I have one that goes my There you way. go. So in, my, in, the, in the fading the Canucks futures market – I still like my portfolio. Yeah, yeah. I still sure. I still like my portfolio. Fair. Even if I got a little ahead of myself, maybe, uh, with the they won't rebound under Tockett yeah. take. Um, by the way, just while we're talking, like, where they're going to finish in the draft and everything, are you going to, like, have an angry conversation with your uh, colleague, Corey Promman? Did you see where he had Zach Benson? I know I know he's not a big Benson guy. Woo! I know. Woo, I just kept scrolling and scrolling down, like, 13 or 14. Yep, it's or a bad something. take. It's, uh, but, it's but very there's, interesting. But there's scouts that view it that way. There's scouts that view it that way are skeptical. Like, here's the thing. He doesn't have the f- um, straightaway speed yet. But he's also 170 pounds. And his edges are elite. I mean, guy's having a historic WHL season. He would be – it would be flat-out historic if there wasn't a guy, you know, ahead of him in the draft who's <laughs> lighting up the WHL like we've literally never seen before since Ray Ferraro. But, uh, but man, I mean – we're, we're at this point in the season, he's having a historic WHL s- season. He's the best player on one of the best teams in the dub, and he still has more shorties than power play goals. Like, come on. Come on, this guy's outrageous. I mean, look. Might be the second best player in the class. I'm, I'm going to be kidding. fired up. I'm going to be fired up if the Canucks get him. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, I, I, I do think he's going to go top I, five. There's there's some some teams going to like him enough to, to take him high, I think. But if he falls, even if he falls – do I have confidence that the Vancouver Canucks, with their history of over-prioritizing size at the draft table, are going to take the 5'9 guy? 
I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm skeptical that they would. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, this one comes in from Jeremy from Sook. Uh, your theme music always gives me anxiety, and then Durant starts talking, and it doesn't help. Quick question. How many college free agents do you think the Canucks will target in the coming Target weeks? or sign? That's a great question. I think so, so probably I, he's going towards sign. I actually think there should be a fair bit of pressure on the Canucks to make, to get some deals done here, right? Like, well, they have, on, a, on a lot of fronts. They have six contract spots. Okay. So that's... That's pretty good. That's good, 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 a good situation to be working from. So, but you have to decide if they go to the NHL or the AHL. Right. Right? Like, you, you can't have guys make their debut and then also go down to the AHL for the playoffs. You kind of have you have the NHL track or the, or you toll their contract to begin the next season and they go to the A. Obviously, this team would prefer to load up the Abbotsford Canucks. Yes. But the ability to use, make your NHL debut and earn an NHL salary for a few weeks uh, is a really good weapon for this team to have in the recruitment battle that awaits. Now, they hired Scott Young from the Pittsburgh Penguins, who's something of a specialist in this to help them land free agents, because you'll remember Alvin noted the importance of getting NCAA free agents um, it, when he was first introduced, like his very first press conference as the general manager of the Canucks. European free agency, and he did well in that. Check. Yeah. NCAA free agency, eh, struck right? out. Nothing. They struck out. So they hired Scott Young. I know that uh, assistant general manager Derek Clancy has also been deeply involved in uh, recruiting, scouting some of these college guys. You know, I expect them to be aggressive in pursuit of a lot of them, but they have to deliver. Like, you have to get some guys this time, particularly given the investment, particularly given how agents around the league look at this team. Like, if you're, you know, Malinowski and Livingston's family advisors, right? Vancouver is a super attractive spot because look at the pipeline on the right side of the defense in Abbotsford, right? Like Jet Wu's a 50-50 to get qualified, actually probably a 75% to not get yes, qualified. Yes, yeah. Unlikely to get qualified. There is not a lot in the system on the right side of the defense. So if you want someone to go, you know, you get to play for Jeremy Colleton, an NHL head coach like a head coach with meaningful NHL experience he's developed a lot of players over the years even dating back to his time in Sweden when he had the likes of Pierre Engvall um on 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 his uh on his roster um you've got a good situation you've got an appealing situation for the right side defense defenders in particular Livingston's a, a guy with BC roots um you know played in the valley uh prior to going to going to um Mantonka or whatever, <laughs> University yes. of Minnesota Mantonka or whatever. You'll you'll tell me what it is, but it's something like that. Um, so they're well positioned, but you have to get it done. You Man have to get it Mankato. done. Mankato, Mankato, or Mankato. I don't know. Mankato. Yeah, whatever. You have to get it done. Yeah, like I think there should actually be pressure on the Canucks to successfully land a, a, a fair bit, like a, a decent class, at least a couple of these needle moving guys. I, I think there should be pressure. The expectation should be that multiple players at the top of the NCAA free agent class pick Vancouver as their organization. They've planted their flag that this is what they're going to do. They've hired a guy with a fabulous track record of scouting these players. They've got opportunity in Abbotsford. There is no excuse for this team to not land a couple of these guys. And I'd add this. They blew past the deadline with Aiden McDonough still on the roster. Mm-hmm. They absolutely, pressure absolutely should be on now that they have declined once again to manage their risk. Like, they have to land him. 
And it's not going to be, if he if he decides to go for August 15th free agency, it really shouldn't be a rinse your hand like, people are making too big a deal for, about this for a guy who's not going to be an NCAA, like an NHL player, whatever. No, like, he was an asset a week ago. Now he's only an asset if they sign him. They want to sign him. They tried to sign him last year. If they can't get that done, I think that's a real red flag. I think the other thing about the importance of this NCAA and European free agent class, and especially the NCAA, on the NCAA side, is not only has the organization come out and said, this is something we really want to do, this is something we need to do, when you look at the track they've chosen to follow, right, and the team-building route that they've chosen to follow, it's not a luxury. It's a, it's a must-have. If you're not going to take a little bit of that patience and trade for future prospects – trade for future draft picks and make those picks and and fill your prospect pipeline that way if you're not going to do that you better be hitting on these chl ncaa and european free agents you you just have to like by definition you're a capped out team that hasn't hoarded draft picks doesn't have a great prospect pipeline part of the whole theory for well given all of those facts how do we jump up the nhl standings is hit and not just like sign the guys but like hit and have them really contribute in well, your lineup. And it's something they cited explicitly at Alvin's post-deadline presser last Friday, right, where where they, you know, asked about trading picks. Part of what they cite is we're going to be more efficient at developing players, which is what they did do in Pittsburgh, right? To their credit, mm-hmm. they, they successfully did the Mark Donk thing in Pittsburgh. Now, is there an argument that if you're going to be more efficient at developing players, why not get as many high pro high pedigree draft picks as possible so that you have maximum things to work with in taking advantage of this thing you're supposedly going to be better at than everyone else? Uh, yeah, obviously. But nonetheless, if that's a big part of the plan, yeah, you have to get live bodies in the door. Again, they've done a really good job. Like, it's not just Neil Zaman or Andre Kuzmenko either. Um, that defenseman they signed, Philip, Philip Johansson. Philip Johansson. Like, I think there's – don't be shocked – if this organization gets past for agency, having, you know, maybe maybe Bears extended, maybe there's like another depth body got brought in. And on August 1st or July 1st, excuse me, when Patrick Alvin's discussing it with the media, he's like, we have high hopes for that guy. Like, mm. that's the way that he's thought of internally. Like, it's not that guy's going to come over and marinate in Abbotsford for 50 or two seasons or 50 games, although that's absolutely in the cards. Right. Like, there's interest in seeing if he's NHL ready next year, and I think this organization believes that if he's not, he's very close, very close. So they've done a good job there, but you have to, you know, you have to also take advantage of the NCAA route. It's not easy. It's a volume thing too, right? Like very similar to draft picks in that regard. Right. Mar- Marcus and Gibson's texts in. Any thoughts on finding uh, a three C in NCAA or European free agent? I know we've got a lot of questions of like. Hey, Jake Livingston, you look at the profile, right-handed, big defenseman, sought after. Can he come in and play for you next year? No, no. But can he come in and play for you is a very different question from can he be really good in whatever role but, he But is, also, I, right? see, I see him uh, already, like, built into, like, people's fantasy rosters. No. The answer is no. Like, Livingston shouldn't be someone who comes in and plays next and year. So He's one, a guy who yeah. should come in and be your top pair righty or second pair righty in Abbotsford. And... That's a guy where you're, you know, you're hoping for like a 2025 arrival on a guy who can play minutes for you. And so I think it's important to keep it in perspective. Not that it's not important and that it can't be really, really good for you because it absolutely can. 
but it's not the thing that's going to solve your roster problems for no. next season. It's it's about starting to build that pipeline so that you have the volume and you have this cycle of, hey, guy we signed two years ago at this time is now ready to step in and contribute rather than, oh, we got to go sign this guy because he's going to be our third-line center next well, year. The, so 30 years ago, you could find Adam Oates or Martin St. Louis. Okay? Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, you could find Chris Kunitz. In the cap era, the most successful NCAA free agent, not counting the August 15 guys who were drafted, right, is Tyler Bozak. And and not by a small margin, right? So, like, that's this class of – the home run that you hit in NCAA free agency is Tyler Bozak, right, who's like, you know, a, a career middle six forward, right? We are generally talking – like, Troy Stetcher is a home run acquisition. Chris Tanev, home run acquisition, right? So Tanev and 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 Bozak would probably be like the bull cases, the best possible results from the college free agent route. You're typically talking about like late round value, right? Like fourth round and on value in terms of the players being acquired, but far closer to being NHL ready. Than a draft pick. A draft right. pick might be four or five years. A college guy might be a year and a half, two years away, right? Uh, and and maybe you get lucky and they're able to play, you know, uh, fourth line minutes for you right off the hop. That's sort of the that's sort of the bin you're shopping in here with with NCAA free agents. Um, lower upside than draft picks, but closer to contributing at the NHL level. Um, that's sort of the way to look at it. All of that said, you swing as often as you can. One thing the Canucks did really well at the deadline, a deadline that I thought was very poor for them in the big picture. One thing I thought they did really well is they cleared a lot of yep. contract slots. Got to bring that to bear, and, and it's got to be an expectation. And it's not easy, right? Like, a lot of these players are American. A lot of these players want to be in America, right? It, it, it isn't easy to recruit these players to the west coast of Canada to play. The decks are in some ways stacked against the Canucks versus, like, if you're coming down to a decision and, and um, one player the Rangers got did, where it's like Rangers or Vancouver, like, you know, that's tough. Boston or Vancouver, yeah. that's tough. But the Canucks have to, I think, based on how they position themselves, the hirings they've made, the emphasis on this from the top, the expectation should be that they win a couple of these quote-unquote sweepstakes. It's a it's it is huge and it can be both like I think the point you make about the upside of these guys is true but that doesn't mean it's not really important for this team because again they need cheap talent even in the roles you're talking about right like even in the parts of the roster you're talking about it's not like they have it's not like you look at their prospect system and say okay, it doesn't have high-end guys, but it has a lot of people you figure to play in the NHL. You know what I mean? It also doesn't have that, necessarily. They need guys who can just be, hey, he gave us two good years on our fourth line at a cheap number, and that really helped us. They're going to need that down the line as well. And just really quickly, um, I know that uh, Rick Dollywall was talking about a guy named Max, uh, I don't know, his name's spelled S-A-S-S-O-N. Yes. I want to say Sassoon. Sassoon? <laughs> Sassoon. I don't know. Or or like uh, Vidal Sassoon. Sassoon, yes. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yes. Uh, Max, uh, so that's a Western Michigan center uh, that Vancouver's believed to be interested in. But with most of these guys, you get into a world where 
like the number of teams after them, much like with Kuzmenko is like 15, right? Like these are free assets. Um, Jake Livingston, but also don't sleep on his teammate, Akito Hiros from Minnesota State, also a former BCHL player. Um, wouldn't be shocked if he's on the radar for the Canucks. And then Sam Malin, uh, Melinsky uh, is the other right-handed defender from Cornell. I know Chris Faber, who keeps very close yes. tabs on this, thinks that he's a, a, a priority for the Canucks, and he's a right-handed puck-moving defenseman. So just some names to, to be mindful of as we get into college free agent season. And, of course, the Aiden McDonough storyline, I think, is going to hang over this. Um, once, especially once his Northeastern season ends. Yeah, that's something that we'll monitor, uh, as you said, as the as various NCAA teams have their seasons wrap up. We will see where these guys end up and how the Canucks do. Uh, you're you're flying solo tomorrow, Drancer. I'm uh, getting the call up or the demotion or something to the morning show. It's going to be me and Bruff in the morning as Halford gets the day off. So, listeners. Yeah, it's just it's all Drance. You, you have to promise me though that you'll still do ten minutes of positivity. Yeah, I'll do ten. Well, <laughs> you can't abandon it just because I'm leaving. You gotta <laughs> still do it. No, I'm committed. You gotta to stick the bit. to it. I'm committed to the. Bit. All right, so that's going on tomorrow. I'll be back on Friday. Enjoy the game tonight. You've got it on Sportsnet 650.